Welcome to the Think Yourself Healthy podcast, where we challenge you to think differently about your approach to health and wellness. My name is Heather Duranja, and I'm excited to be here with you to take you on the journey from surviving to thriving. Hello, everybody. On today's episode of Think Yourself Healthy, we have special guest, Lindsay Mitchell. Lindsay is the founder of VitalSide, a brain retraining program for people with chronic symptoms like pain, fatigue, and anxiety. She is a brain retraining coach and helps people turn off their chronic fight or flight response. Her training is as a physician assistant and NLP practitioner, but she gets most of her experience from having lived through chronic Lyme disease and making a full recovery. You can find her tips on my vital side on Instagram. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Lindsay. Very impressive bio. So tell us a little bit about you and your story and how you got to, uh, you know, specializing in this niche field. Yeah. So my background is in medicine and that's where I started, started loving helping people and helping people with chronic illnesses. And through that experience, I quickly found how so many people had chronic conditions and were only given really one way to address their diagnosis and to receive treatment. And I did work in the Western world. So it was like a very strict kind of protocol, strict treatments. But then I ended up getting sick with Lyme disease. And of course, you know, we all have our personal stories where this is the thing, that's the thing that was my catalyst for change. And it truly was. And it totally changed my trajectory, you know, for my career, my personal beliefs on our ability to heal and for the good, you know, I think because our bodies are designed to heal. Our bodies are designed to access our natural resilience. And I think so many times we can feel disempowered in the medical community, in the medical world. And we don't need that. You know, if you have a chronic illness, you want to you want to feel the opposite. You want to be empowered and do things at home that you do the things you can to kind of shift your chronic symptoms. So through my experience with Lyme disease, you know, I saw all the practitioners. I did the, you know, extended all my resources in the Western world of medicine and then tried pretty much everything I could in all of the different areas of medicine and and all these different modalities to kind of figure out what worked best for me. And I read about the brain's ability to change on a blog post. <laughs> it just made so much sense. This specific article was about how the brain changes when you have a chronic illness. And so for me, I was thinking, okay, that makes sense because I've tried all of the supplements and I have done all the diets and I've done all the treatments I can think of or that I've been recommended. And I still feel sick. I still feel stuck. You know, what else is there? So I loved this idea of, well, when you have a chronic condition, it's like you're living in this state of survival all the time. And I know you talk about this quite a bit is, okay, 
you're in this fight or flight place of like trying to get rid of the bacteria or the virus or whatever it is, or you're in this freeze state, right? Where you're trying to, uh, you know, your best way to survive is to freeze up and shrink down. Maybe you get brain foggy, but chronic or, or, or some symptoms of this chronic stress response are, you know, anxiety, brain fog, pain, inflammation, fatigue, all of these symptoms that you see in a lot of people with chronic conditions, autoimmune conditions, Lyme disease, chronic pain, chronic fatigue syndrome. And to me, I kind of think about it in the way that, okay, you know, when early humans would see a saber-toothed tiger and, and they would have to protect themselves and, and fight for their food and things like that. And these experiences that they would have would put their nervous systems in a state of fight or flight for good reason, because they really needed to protect themselves. Well, when you're living in a chronic state of fight or flight or chronic stress response, it's like you're living with that saber toothed tiger 24 seven, right? You're not conscious of it. You're, you know, consciously like, okay, I'm just doing the things to survive, but the nervous system is responding like that saber toothed tiger is there. And if you can imagine that, like seeing a saber toothed tiger in the museums is <laughs> these big, scary creatures that are with you all the time. So the body responds and responds in, you know, your, your physiology, your neurochemistry production response and, you know, cortisol, adrenaline, all of these stress hormones that get, gets released, changes your genetic expression through epigenetics, right? So this mind-body connection that has been talked about for thousands of years is very real. And now we have the science to prove it. And we have the electroencephalograms and the functional MRIs to really study how the brain and body are so connected. And that's what I do in vital side. So I ended up uh, recovering from Lyme disease and making that full recovery, which you know, it's just, I love talking about it because I, you know, everything that I read when I got that diagnosis was like, oh, you're going to have to live like this forever. You're just going to have to survive. And, uh, I, I did everything in my power to prove everybody wrong <laughs> and to really, figure out a way and a modality that worked for me. So when I learned about brain retraining, I read all of the books and there's wonderful uh, proponents of neuroplasticity out there that talk about this, you know, Dr. Joe Dispenza, Dr. Norman Deutsch, now, you know, Dr. Candice Pert, who wrote Molecules of Emotion, right? All of these wonderful key players in neuroplasticity. So I read everything I could. I took all of the programs that I found and I started to kind of create a practice that worked for me, um, specifically with someone who was bedridden for months and had trouble, you know, at one point I had trouble bending my wrist so that I can wash my hair. And my husband had to work from home. My sisters moved next door. Like I needed a lot of help. So I wasn't in this place where I could just say, oh, well, 
I'm just gonna, you know, think greater than how I feel every day and just do it. You know, I really needed structure and I needed a plan. And that's what I started to kind of curate through these programs that I did and the information that I just continued to research. And I ended up recovering from Lyme disease. And it took me about eight months just with the mental exercises that I used and visualization techniques and things like that. And at that eight month mark, I went to Costa Rica. I was surfing on the beach. I had like a piece of full gluten, full dairy pizza without feeling that inflammatory reaction, you know, and that was important to me. That was really important to me that my body wouldn't respond like the food or the environment was dangerous. And I live in Austin, Texas, and I started to go you know, think about going back to work as a PA. And I was talking to some integrative practitioners in town. And I I thought, you know what, I I really want to be someone who bridges the gap between this like lifestyle medicine and mind body medicine, and then the Western world. And I want to be someone who can go in and educate practitioners about neuroplasticity and work with their clients and help them, you know, maybe they can address the body and I can help them to address the brain. So to have this symbiotic approach with practitioners. So that was really important to me. So I I thought, you know, let's do it. Let's start, let's start this. And that was about four and a half years ago now. And I started Vital Side and now I, I teach the science behind how the brain changes, but I also have virtual programs and private sessions and group sessions for people who are using this vital side specific tools, mental exercises to shift out of that chronic state of fight or flight. And everyone has a chronic condition. Everyone has chronic symptoms. Some people are wheelchair bound or bedridden. Um, Others deal with chronic anxiety every day. So it's all a little bit different. But the common thread is being stuck in that state of chronic stress response. Absolutely. Well, I commend you on your courage to step out there and, you know, really carve out a path that was in alignment with what you felt was necessary to help others heal. I have a very similar story myself. Um, The difference is is that I went into the education system knowing that the Western techniques and protocols were not the answer, but I had to just jump through those hoops in order to be able to get my registration and licensure and then use the holistic information um, and evidence-based practices that I truly believed in that had helped support me uh, cure, well, not necessarily cure, but um, manage my chronic autoimmune kidney disease in in an amazing way. So for 27 years now, I have been devoted to this work and I know firsthand how powerful it is. And one of the things that I've really found in practice is that a lot of individuals who are suffering with autoimmune issues, chronic illness, um, anxiety, depression, all of the things, they really become attached to the identity behind the diagnosis. What I find is individuals will 
get a diagnosis, they go home, they Google, they look up all the symptoms and the prognosis of what the expectation is from a Western perspective. And then they basically just say, okay, this is it. And they get stuck and attached to that identity. And it's very difficult for them to actually heal themselves in a holistic manner and allow for the medications and surgeries and supplements and nutrition and exercise to be able to be optimized in the human body. So um, with you know you getting diagnosed with this Lyme disease, Lyme is one of those things that they say you're gonna suffer with for the rest of your life. So I think it's commendable that you chose much like myself to say, no, I'm not accepting this as my, you know, fate and I'm going to take action steps that are outside of the box and with consistency of those practices, you have the ability to retrain the brain and support the parasympathetic nervous system so that we can truly heal. Beautiful work. Yeah. Yeah. And it is just so easy to get attached to your diagnosis. I mean, really, that's how humans are designed, right? It is to, to seek for kind of evidence and a label. And I think that's really important because I think for anyone who has had chronic symptoms, chronic conditions, and they don't have a label for it, there's this chaotic, hectic period of life where it feels like you're going insane. And I did feel that way. And I think a lot of, you know, my kind of extended family felt that I was like, okay, well, what's going on with Lindsay? What's, what's really happening here? So I think for peace of mind as humans, having the label on the diagnosis is important for you to take those next steps. I, I would say not for every single person. I think it, it does depend on the person, but I think generally humans want that label and then to take the next steps of, okay, where then can I go? Um, you know, even if to satisfy that conscious brain, to satisfy, you know, our analytical minds. Okay, this is what I have. Now I have an, an explanation for what's going on here. But then, yes, getting attached to the diagnosis. Gosh, I remember Googling Lyme disease. I mean, I trained, you know, as a PA and I worked in Connecticut and where Lyme disease was rampant and I would treat Lyme disease. But when I was diagnosed with Lyme disease, I mean, this was about six months after I was bitten by the tick. And at that point it had become chronic Lyme disease and everything I read about that had chronic Lyme disease in it was like, you're going to have to live with this forever. Uh, 25 years, people living with Lyme disease, 50 years, people living with chronic Lyme disease, neurological symptoms, all of these things. And for humans, our brains, you know, uh, what's this saying? Negativity is like Velcro and positivity is like Teflon, right? It just doesn't stick. So we read these negative statements, these jarring statements, and you can equate it to, again, that saber-toothed tiger. <laughs> so 
first of all, I already have this virus bacteria, you know, in my body. Um, you know, I say both because typically the Lyme is bacterial, but I think there's, you know, various components to that and just depending on what type it is, but then, you know, so you're already in this place where your body is, your brain is dictating to your body. Well, you're in danger, you know, you need to respond. And then these chronic symptoms kind of start happening, but then you start to feed this stress response through reading this information, this very negative, this very intense information, and it sticks with you and it's traumatizing. And I, I think what we don't talk about in the chronic illness world enough is, is medical trauma, you know, the, the medical PTSD that we can experience. And I definitely experienced that. And it didn't help that I was a PA. <laughs> I, you know, would go see the doctor and they'd be like, no, you're going to have to live this way. Or, you know, no, you're, you know, a female, you're just going to have to wait a couple years, just going to get better. It's probably hormonal. These types of things that stick with you and are very, very traumatizing. But the thing is, these experiences, they feed that stress response. So then it's like, like that saber tooth tiger is like growling at you and it's just scary and present and it feeds it again and again and again. Well, as a result of being human and conditioning, we start to believe it because that's what's surrounding us. And we're being told by very prominent figures in our lives, practitioners, people that we're supposed to trust and, you know, just take what they say for faith value right that's kind of how we've, we've been trained I think as a society for the most I part that we tend to be naive consumers we have this born trust within our systems and we think that whatever is being said or offered is the best solution for our health and well-being and a lot of times there are you know, financial agendas that are behind the recommendations. And I think, you know, one of the things that I find is with the attachment to diagnosis, it serves a purpose. And we have to become aware and conscious of the purpose it's serving and asking ourselves the question, is this aligned with how I want to feel, because if it's not, then we are going to have to take a lot of really uncomfortable action steps in order to support the brain into a new default state. Otherwise, we just keep cycling through that negative feedback loop that keeps destroying our health um, immensely. And, you know, I want to talk really quick about that medical trauma, that PTSD. I got diagnosed at 18 years old with a chronic autoimmune kidney disease, could not get health insurance, and then told that I had a prognosis of five years and I was either going to be on dialysis or need a kidney transplant. And so that was very frightening. I did not have any kind of education um, when it came to really knowing where to start with how to help myself. And in many ways, I think it was the biggest blessing in my life that occurred for me not to have health insurance because I chose to figure it out without accepting that prognosis as you know the final word. And um, here I am today, 27 years later, living you know my best life for the most part. Um, 
But in 2011, I got diagnosed with cancer. And when I got that cancer diagnosis, for me, that's when I really realized the importance of the stories, the conditioning, the programming, and how that literally keeps us in that state of fight or flight, which impacts our health in a negative way. I had nutrition down, I had exercise down, I had, you know, all of the things that we've been taught are going to keep us healthy. Those were prominent um, everyday lifestyle habits that I couldn't understand how I had gotten sick. I was very, very angry, very frustrated. And then that's when I dove back into the research and really understand our brain's role in fight or flight and how fight or flight weakens the immune system and makes us susceptible to you know, chronic illness and other diseases. Yeah, and, and I think you're right. The, the awareness component of intuitively what's going on, but also, what am I going to do with this information? Mm -hmm. You know, how can I use, I don't have health insurance, you know, how can I access my intuition to figure out what's going on with me in a way that makes financial sense? Right. And that can be challenging for individuals who are suffering with chronic, you know, chronic symptoms because we're weak we're tired. We, you know, we, we just don't have the ability to cognitive, cognitively comprehend that we do have choices and options. We feel defeated and we just stay stuck. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And that's, what's interesting about people that I see, and I'm sure many of your clients, they've come to me after trying all of the things. Most people now with COVID, it's a little bit different. I saw this influx of people last year who started experiencing, you know, chronic symptoms post COVID. And I think that it is becoming more of a conversation Mm -hmm. to be empowered in your own healing. And I don't really know why that is maybe just because more and more people are talking about it and the information is out there and we're seeing documentaries be released on it. And so maybe people are just more inspired to, to, to kind of seek in that way. Um, But I'm, I'm really excited about that, but to kind of go back to what you were saying of the illness kind of identification and how that plays an important role uh, totally. I think you're right. I think one of the, the first places that I went after kind of doing like the natural Google search on chronic Lyme disease, where I just got totally disheartened immediately. and was like, I can't look at this because this is terrifying. Um, with social media, you know, Instagram. And that was where I really found a lot of people who were in the healing space and taking steps to, you know, um, really understand and use this space as a a conversation to you're a place to start the conversation about what do I do with this chronic condition? So for me, I, I think I was nervous about posting a post that I had Lyme disease because my conditioning personally growing up and just what I experienced as a child 
one of my kind of core beliefs was I always have to be strong. You know, I don't want to be perceived as weak. So it, it took a lot for me to admit that I had that chronic condition. And then people started to reach out. And then I started to kind of follow people that were on their Lyme journey. Well, this was really helpful and started to create community around the diagnosis. Then, then I was like, okay, this is good. Other people are speaking out about this. So I went to a Lyme disease support group in person and it was one of the worst experiences <laughs> that I've had with Lyme. And I was, I was, there was like 20 people in the room and instead of kind of going through hearing about like a modality that works for people or having someone come in to talk about that, we each went around and the conversation was about what are your current symptoms? What are you frustrated with? And every single person spent so much time venting about what they were going through. Now, support groups are really helpful for different parts of your healing journey. I totally believe that. But I honestly, you know, by the time I'm like number 19, by the time they got to me, I'm drained. Everything in there fed that negative feedback loop. And I'm sitting there and I'm pale faced and I'm just like, I need to leave. And I left early and I didn't go back. And so I think you can kind of equate that experience to an online platform where people who, you know, again, love using this as a platform to tell your story. But I know from personal experience, when I started focusing on healing, I could not follow people who were focused on diagnosis, like treatment failure mm -hmm. and, um, not being able to see their possibilities. That's the, that's the thing that I come back to again and again. And it's what I talk about in vital side a lot is when you feel like there's nothing left for you, you feel hopeless. You are lying on the ground, crying, feel so much pain. There's nothing left. I mean, I felt this way. The question of what is possible for me is so important to break that pattern, right? To break that conditioned belief or conditioned thought that exists and think about something in a totally different and totally new way. And it's not comfortable at first, but when you ask yourself what is possible for me, then you start to shift the narrative. And that's what I needed to do on my social page because then I started following all these people and all these people then would start to post all of these things that to me, when I looked at that, it would feed my stress response, <laughs> it, you know, that negative feedback loop. And so I really had to then figure out, Lindsay, what works for you? What are you comfortable with? You know, how can you create that boundary? And I had a lot of supportive people in my life to kind of talk this out with. And those moments where I did need to vent, I was able to vent. So I'm assuming a lot of people in the support group didn't have that space. And so they utilized that space as a venting time. So, you know, I was fortunate to have those things. But personally, I had to sit down and get really clear what did I want from this? You know, how do I want to feel? 
what do I want to believe about my own illness? Do I want to believe this is forever? Because I can absolutely join a whole lot of people who do. But again, coming back to that core belief, I always have to be strong. You know, this is a neutral belief. I don't think there's, it's bad, good, anything, you know, but I always have to be strong. Well, in the moment, this helped me. This belief helped me to say, I don't see this for myself. I don't see this as an everlasting thing. And I talked about that with my husband and he said, I don't see it either. Cause when we met, I was traveling and I was bright and bubbly and doing all these things. He knew me before that. So it helped to have an advocate on my side who was like, I don't see this for you either. Let's figure out a way to not have this diagnosis dictate the rest of your life. So I think getting extremely clear on what works for you, because then I have people who reach out and they're like, well, I do have a life-threatening illness that can, you know, <laughs> uh, really th that is something where I have to be in that survival response. Well, get clear on your own boundaries on what you see for yourself always. If you have Lyme disease, you're gonna think about things differently than I am and you're gonna need different boundaries. To, you know, and, and it could be with any chronic condition. So it takes a little bit of extra time to kind of sit down and figure out what that is. But if you think about how you feel after even just 10 minutes of hearing discouraging stories and, and um, listening to people vent or people's drama, again, not that that's a bad thing, but just to spend focused attention on that was detrimental to my health. And I needed what you said, that awareness. I really needed that conscious awareness to say, hey, this doesn't work for me. I need to create a boundary. And you know what? I really don't want to live the rest of my life defined by this illness. Right. Absolutely. I think that there's a lot of, when, when we're trying to figure out what's going on with us, when we're suffering with chronic fatigue and brain fog and GI issues, and we're just not feeling our best. And we keep going to the doctor, going to the doctors, they can't find anything. We start getting gaslit in a sense, right? That our reality of what we're feeling and experiencing is being denied. And with that comes a lot of frustration. So when we get that diagnosis, there's this sense of, um, oh, finally, oh, finally, right? But then we get it attached to the stories and telling our, our story over and over and over. I went to this doctor and they told me this and I went to that doctor and this didn't work and da, 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 da. And the whole time, all we're doing is feeding that fight or flight without our awareness. We just get stuck. I know for myself, um, when I realized that I was addicted to the chaos, was after I had gone, well, when I was going through my divorce, when my divorce initiated and I literally would call a girlfriend, tell the story she had to go, I'd immediately dial, call another one. And it was just nonstop of this kind of behavior. I could not get out of it. I was so addicted to the overwhelm and the, the panic and the anxiety that I did not know how to function otherwise. 
And so, you know, people had said, oh, do positive affirmation, do breathing, do meditation. And I sat down and I would try to engage in those behaviors. And immediately I would feel very frustrated because it was so uncomfortable. My subconscious was like, uh, 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 what are you doing here? No, no, no. This isn't the way we behave. No, come on. Let's get back to the drama and the chaos. So that was a real lesson for me in understanding our, um, our addiction and, and how the subconscious helps us to feed that in order to get the chemical fix that we need. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to kind of go off that, you know, I, I had a similar experience where I was told by a therapist to read a book. It was like the... It was basically mindful practices to, for self-compassion. Mm-hmm. And I bought the book and it arrived and I started reading it. And, you know, it's one of those dense books, just every paragraph you could spend like three days just rereading. Well, I had chronic symptoms. You know, it was hard enough to concentrate on any activity, you know, bathing or watching TV or lying down or eating. And I really wanted to consume this book, but I would sit down and my brain would just check out. And I think that freeze response, you know, that, that uh, parasympathetic freeze response just turned on and tuned me out, you know, tuned everything out. And yes, it's part of those kind of subconscious patterns of like, hey, this is dangerous. This is something that, you know, you you really can't do or shouldn't be doing right now. But in that instance, you know, and for those people at home who are kind of struggling with that, they're like, I wanna read and I wanna do these things and I wanna like get all the tools but my brain literally shuts down mm-hmm. is you start so much smaller than that. That book took me a year to read. Okay. And that's not even like implementing a lot of the tools. It was a really great book and I still have it somewhere, but you need to start so much smaller than that. And there are simple mental exercises and simple little tiny changes you can make every day that don't have to do with completely like shifting your lifestyle or breaking a habit every single day they're these little shifts and when they add up they create long-lasting sustainable changes and and it's all about you know breaking these patterns again and again in little tiny little bitty little baby ways rather than forcing you to do that because yes it can feel uncomfortable but it can also increase and exacerbate your symptoms. Mm -hmm. So I'm a huge believer, you know, it's not a popular opinion either, but I talk about how mindfulness can have the sort of opposite effect on people with chronic conditions. And if you ever asked anyone with chronic symptoms to sit down and body scan or something like that, it's like all of a sudden the like gut pain and inflammation and bloating gets worse and your heart starts beating faster and pain occurs and it can have that impact on your health. Yes, because it's uncomfortable, but also because you're 
sitting there and your focused attention is going on your very real symptoms and your body's responding. So if you've tried mindfulness or another tool like that, and that quite hasn't helped you, you know, just like you were saying how meditation and, you know, a lot of people are like yoga, meditation, do these things. And it can feel so simple, but it's really not for people with chronic symptoms. Right. Well, and for myself, and I'm sure many, many, many other listeners, the real obstacle that was standing in the way of that was my perfectionism and my unrealistic expectation and approach that I tried to take with those modalities. I was very hard on myself. And so when I sat down to do meditation and my heart started racing, I felt tense, my muscles started spasming. I was judging myself. And tell, start, you know, I started reinforcing the stories and that would defeat me and I wouldn't want to attempt it again. And so I really had to work hard at letting go of the perfectionism, really understanding where I was at, what I could truly devote myself to in a realistic manner that would allow me to not become overwhelmed and create some form of balance in my life while still attempting to initiate that healing and those healing practices. So um, I, I laugh all the time. I joke around with people, you know, I am a recovering perfectionist and a professional half-asser. And it was literally the best thing that I ever chose to empower myself with. And I know that if I can do it, we all have the ability to do it. So, uh, yeah. So for those listeners who are feeling really stuck right now, and maybe just through this conversation that we're having, their little lights are going off in their head and they're going, oh my gosh, maybe this is me. Maybe this is what's holding me back. What advice do you have for the listeners in terms of those first steps? Because myself, I myself like you, I am a huge advocate for taking baby steps, starting very small, being consistent with those practices, and then having the ability to layer until we get to that desired goal. So what advice do you have for the listeners to get started? Totally. Well, the first thing I'll say, and then I'll follow this up, is the awareness component is so important. And I know that sounds like a broken record because likely on pretty much every podcast episode, you've probably had somebody say that. But here I'm going to say awareness of your nervous system's responses are so important. And so if we go back to that moment in time of you're having that symptom, whether that's the heart beating fast, or maybe you're in pain in that moment, you know, a lot of times we can inundate and overwhelm ourselves if we are master perfectionistic, you know, have those tendencies. Uh, We can think like, oh my gosh, I can do like meditation. I can do these things. I can do some breathing. I can do but it's overwhelming to think about if you don't have a structured plan, a structured protocol. So that's what I teach, but I'll I'll give you a very kind of tangible thing that you can use right now. 
So in that moment where you kind of recognize, first become aware and recognize that nervous system response as fight or flight, or maybe it's freeze. In that moment, I recommend having an anchor item and I've just got one sitting right here so that a little stone uh, is a really great anchor item or like a shell or I've got a little pine cone, you've got a little, yeah, love it, a little uh, a crystal. And just picking that up, so I recommend getting an item with something with texture, maybe cool temperature to touch, smooth so you can run it back and forth between your hands. But when you do, the question that you'll ask yourself when you have this anchor item anchoring you here to the moment, putting focused attention on this thing, ask yourself the question, what is possible for me? And maybe all that's possible in this moment is simply running the stone back and forth between your hands and focusing your attention on it, the texture, the color what it feels like, what it maybe even smells like. Some stones and crystals smell different, right? So creating like an all immersive sensory experience of shifting your attention to this object. Because the thing is, the symptoms that we have, and especially those exacerbated stress response um, feeling symptoms related to that negative feedback loop, they're not always direct indicators of what's going on around us or internally. So a lot of times that response is a result of perceived danger, past experiences, rather than what's going on in the present. So if you start to recognize your nervous system responses, well, my default is fight or flight, or my default is freeze. That's kind of what I come back to throughout the day. Or maybe I'm in a 24 seven state of fight or flight or freeze, or they cycle back and forth. Pick up your anchor item throughout the day, put focused attention on it, look at it, roll it back and forth between your hands. Ask yourself the question, what is possible for me? And then when you answer that, be really realistic. And you can even write down a list of things of possibilities, um, just so you have a little bit of structure in those moments, because a lot of times in those moments, rather than responding with our prefrontal cortex, our focused attention, we're responding with our limbic brains, our feeling emotional reacting brains. So a lot of times in those moments, we want to like, ah, I don't know what's going on. Like I'm freaked out. I'm, I'm super anxious. I'm super crazy, feeling crazy in this moment. Um, so, so asking the question, what is possible for me shifts the narrative and then you can think of what is possible for me. Well, maybe it's possible for me to take a couple deep breaths and maybe just inhale for three and exhale for three while I roll this back and forth. Maybe it's possible for me to excuse myself from this conversation or this environment and just walk outside. Simply shifting my environment uh, really shifts your state, right? Maybe it's possible for me to you know, do a structured protocol that I learned, you know, to, to shift out of this response. Maybe it's possible for me to lie on this soft ground and feel my feet on the ground and, um, you know, put my hands on the ground and really feel the softness of my rug. Maybe it's possible to go hug my dog. So there's so many different things that you can shift and put your focus on in that moment. But it just, it can be a little tiny little baby step 
But the idea there is 90 seconds is the lifespan of an emotion. You know, Dr. Candice Pert did research on this. If we don't attach a story onto the emotion, that neurochemically can shift from our bodies so that we no longer have to experience it. So it's funny you brought up, well, when something happened and you call your girlfriend and then they'd have to go and then you'd have to call another girlfriend. Well, if we kind of felt that way and felt that anxiety or felt that stress and let it kind of sit for about 90 seconds and did what we had to do. And maybe that's first kind of yelling into a pillow or crying or something like that. But after 90 seconds, being able to pick up your anchor item, run it back and forth between your hands. Well, what is possible for me? What is possible for me? And then you've got that list of things that you can shift your state. You can do something different. Even if you're bedridden, there is something possible for you. It's really a shame that we've been conditioned to truly be victims of our circumstances when it comes to our health and well-being, and we don't really have the awareness around our power. And it's something that I think it needs to continuously be talked about. We have to really have these conversations. I week week after week, day after day, when I'm with a group of individuals and I'm educating and I make the statement that 99% of chronic disease is environmental related and it typically stems from our perception of that environment. And where do we get that perception of the environment? It's from the conditioning and programming and experiences we've had up to that point. So we're not even, you know, it, it can be really challenging when we are just in that autopilot state, feeling like the victim, creating circumstances that without our conscious awareness to keep feeding that system. It can be very, just having that whoa, wow moment when you take a step back, let go of the judgment and really ask yourself some deep questions like, how do I want to feel? Is this working for me? Because if not, we've got to think outside the box and take action steps that, um, aren't necessarily, you know, promoted as the norm, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's always up to you. And I think that's the thing that people kind of miss out on, especially when you have a chronic illness, because you're like, my body's doing this thing. And oh my goodness. And yeah, your body is doing this thing. But what if we set your body up for optimal success in the best way we know how, all while understanding that we are human and things happen, right? Uh, but what is possible for us? What are the possibilities that we have? So you kind of learn, you know, as humans, we always have reactions to life events that happen around us. We have a thought, you know, and we have up to 70,000 thoughts a day. So tons of thoughts, right? We have a feeling or an emotion and that's not something you can always control. I mean, those are often just based on past experiences And then we have a reaction to that life event. Mm -hmm. And that reaction is something that we can choose. 
something that we can do differently, something that with a shift in our perception, we can do, we can look at the situation in a different way with a clearer perspective, or maybe using our prefrontal cortexes rather than our limbic brains. And then we have the fourth thing that happens with any life event is we have an outcome. And so that reaction that we have can determine and dictate our outcome to any situation. So the, the thoughts and the emotions, yes, they are there. <laughs> and the ones that we pay most attention to, the thoughts, uh, you know, become very prominent in our lives, but I'm not about to believe every thought I have. It's really about our responses to the life situation and what we then do about it, which is determined in the outcome of the situation. So what is possible for us, you know, the fact that we do have a choice, it's just, it's something that can sound scary and intimidating at first, but when you start to really understand it and then also understand you're human and then work on these other things like acceptance and self-love and self-compassion and, uh, Forgiveness. <laughs> forgiveness, right? All of these things that come along with that, then we can be like, okay, well, you know, I, I am doing the things I do have the choice, but today I'm going to choose, you know, I can choose to binge watch TV or I can choose to eat a donut or whatever, because it's my choice. I can also choose the next day to do something that feels really good for my body, you know, take a bath, go for a walk, eat some nice green vegetables. It is my choice. So being clear and being intentional with yourself and like really understanding yourself and, and understanding that you have that choice. I mean, and owning it, it's, it becomes like the most empowering thing that you can ever do. <laughs> and it, perception is such a huge part of it. You know, perception is such a huge part of us being able to empower ourselves to take action steps that are going to be necessary. It's really funny or interesting. I recently had done an interview with Sean Stevenson from the Model Health Show, and he was sharing a study that he had um, come across about weight loss. And basically the summary of this is that there were two groups, they were each given, one was given um, like what we would consider bad food, right? And then the other group was given the same kind of food, but a different seed was planted around the perception of this food. And the individuals that perceived the food as being bad actually had fat gain compared to the control group that had the perception that it was okay to eat these foods. And I think it's really fascinating. This is really powerful information. And what it goes back to is the root of the physiology that occurs when we perceive something that is not ideal, right? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I mean, I think of, and, and you probably delve into this a little bit more than me, although I do love working with people with food, but I, I'm more so focused on like the incremental training portion of it and changing our association to food. Um, I love working with food because then people are like eating and it's just really satisfying, but 
um, when you kind of go more so into the, um, you know, eating disorder kind of field, then you think about the binge eating and the guilt, the shame, the shame that comes along with that and these types of conditions. And even if you don't have that disorder, you know, I think a lot of people binge eat in general and, you know, or, or have a negative association to just food after being on a very strict diet for years. And this is something that tears me up because I think about that and I think, okay, you've only been told to eat these foods. Now you can literally only eat three foods. Like this is just, you know, food is something that's supposed to be nourishing, supposed to represent freedom and all of these things. And we're kind of getting that taken away, but I think of like, I'm like, I love a donut. I love like freshly baked chocolate chip cookies. Like the amount of nourishment that I get from that, just being this kind of nostalgic thing that I can share and it can be warmed up and you can have this very like intentional and loving experience with maybe friends or family members, you know, around this. It is all about that perspective. And I will take that you know, you know, over it and, and just like hone in and love that experience over, you know, guilting and shaming and blaming myself, though, that has taken so much time. Right. This is why I am not a huge fan of individuals um, feeling this expectation that they have to follow like specific autoimmune protocols when it comes to dietary practices. What I find in practice is that it's not a one size fit all approach. And if we have this expectation that I have to be in a restrictive, um, depriving myself of things that have brought me joy, it really contributes to the problem when it comes to our ability to actually heal. And so it goes, you know, same thing with the eating disorders. There's, there's these root beliefs that can be working against us and I want to combat, I want to combat those um, ideals that we have really uh, become attached to when I start working with clients and they become overwhelmed because autoimmune protocol diets are extremely, extremely restrictive. And they think that this is the only way. And it's not sometimes just following that diet is actually the thing that is keeping, holding you back from being able to achieve the true healing. So thank you for bringing that up, that, that whole topic around that. I think it's great. So Lindsay, tell me where can the audience find you and what kind of exciting things are you working on? Yeah, so you are welcome to follow me on Instagram at my vital side. That's just a place where I give a lot of, you know, great free tips and things like that. Uh, and, and if you're kind of in that space where you're looking for empowering tips and tools and things like that, dealing with a chronic illness, I definitely would start there. You can also find me on my website, vital-side.com. And there's some great free videos on there. I've got this like 35 minute long video just about the process of brain retraining and what I specifically do in Vital Side that's really helpful. And then once you're ready, you can sign up for the Vital Side membership. So this is a five day virtual course that you start 
but immediately you're plugged into the vital site community and we've got a private forum on there, discounted private sessions. You can join our group call. The first session is free. So a lot of good stuff there. And that's where I really teach the science and then also the very kind of structured tools to use throughout the day to kind of shift that stress response in association to your chronic symptoms and also the things that you want to achieve, the goals, the foods you want to eat, the physical exercises, all of that. So you can find that at the Vital Side membership. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time, your expertise, and sharing your story with us today. I truly appreciate it and I commend the work you're doing. It's such vital work. We all have to do it if we truly want to have the ability to start living our best lives. So check Lindsay out on Instagram. Her, her feed is amazing. She's got amazing tips. I always get super excited when I'm scrolling and see her stuff. And I'm like, yes, this is somebody who gets it. And it's really, it just, it really lights a fire under my ass and says, okay, we got to connect. We have to have these conversations because this isn't being talked about enough. So thank you so much and um, keep doing what you're doing. Cause it's, it's, much needed. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us on the Think Yourself Healthy podcast. Make sure you leave a review and let me know what you think. I love reading your feedback. Come hang out with me on Instagram at Heather Duranja. And don't forget to take a screenshot that you're listening to the podcast and tag me. I love to share it. See you on the next episode.